and welcome back to Educate, the alternative classroom experience brought to you by me, Katie Conn, from my London bedroom. Yes, I am reporting live from underneath a duvet. It's pretty fantastic. I have to say the fort has had a glow up. We've transitioned from lockdown one at my parents' house under a bit of a shoddy fort, but this one, it's stable. It's beautiful. Mwah, chef's kiss. Now, it's so good to be doing another episode. It's been a while since my last one. So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I don't know who I think I am when I say that. I just kind of love living the radio presenter dream. Um, but just work with me on it, please. Um, so in this episode, I really want to do um, a big old interrogation into girl boss culture. So I'm going to explain why I want to do this and let's kick it off, shall we? So I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day. I've seen many posts on LinkedIn, but I have not been able to stop thinking about this particular one. And I think that is saying something. The fact that I'm giving personal airtime on my podcast to another social media app that isn't TikTok, I think that's a talking point in itself. But we move. We move forward with this one. So uh, a woman called Hayat Ratchi, who is a chief marketing officer, wrote on LinkedIn, I'm not a boss, babe. I'm not a girl boss. I'm not a CEO. I'm not a mum entrepreneur. I'm the CMO of a successful, fast-growing SaaS company and have the honour of leading an incredible team of talented humans. Dot, dot, dot. And I am a woman. And this really got me thinking. What on earth is a SaaS company? How fabulous. Wow. Uh, after a quick Google, thank you very much. Uh, it's software as a service. So my dreams were immediately dashed um, that there isn't a company out there that's solely <laughs> creating SaaS. But we move. We can only dream. Why do we often feminize language surrounding traditional concepts of work? Why do we do it? Why do we feel the need to embed our gender into a word or phrase? Why? So before reading this post, I have actually been thinking for a while that it's actually quite annoying that we have to still use these signifiers. For example, a woman in business, the women's football, women in tech. Right. I understand. We need to do this. We're not there. Feminism isn't there. We are not equal. We have to do it. In no way am I trying to neglect the feminist cause by noticing this. But it is a bit annoying. The more I'm learning about the workforce is what I've noticed is that we often feminise traditional language because these spaces and concepts, whether, you know, we're in a business meeting, we're in football pitches or those that work behind the screens and the apps to make your favourite things happen on the internet. These spaces have always and, you know, are traditionally male dominated. Now, of course, I am generalising. We're not 50-50 and there's still an imbalance of gender in these spaces. So let's take Hayat's statement and apply the same logic, but with masculine language. I'm not a boss, bro. I'm not a boy boss. I'm not a he -yo. I'm not a suntrepreneur. I'm the CMO of a successful, fast-growing SaaS company and have the honour of leading an incredible team of talented humans. And I am a man. Sounds Bizarre, right? How bizarre? It's because it's not a thing. We don't hear this. Stepping into these spaces for them is normal. Being a male CEO, 
is unexceptional to the gender power structures that run deeply into the ecosystems in our capitalist society. I'm not discrediting people's work in order to get to these positions. I'm not trying to say that people don't deserve it in terms of men, but I am saying it's much more of an exception to the rule that a woman becomes a CEO and a man just is one. <laughs> when you think of CEO, come on, I think of a man in a suit. I do. I wish I thought of it differently, but I don't. And that's the way it is. So I totally understand why we have feminized this language. You know, CEO, girl boss, etc. Because I've also contributed to the boss babe dialogue in the past. And I'd be an absolute liar if I denied it. I think when people have identified with the boss babe narrative or the girl boss narrative or however we want to call it, I think it's a way of people going, hey, we're here. I'm a woman. I'm here. I'm ready to get the job done and I'm ready to be great at it. And I think that's what the kind of general ethos behind it. It's playful. It's fun. You know, it feels vibrant. And I think it comes with the desire to be recognised in the working world, you know, showing up, coming as you are, you're ready. But I think it is a bit sad that as commercial feminism has kicked off, I don't know, it's kind of like polishing a turd, probably the wrong expression, but throwing a load of glossy language over a really big and multifaceted issue that's constantly evolving and it's interconnected with race, class, gender, sexuality, politics, all of these things. And I think the way in which we kind of paint this aesthetically pleasing, sloganized feminism over it makes things difficult to understand. And really, actually, when it comes to it, unpacking what it is to be a woman in the workplace. But we're going to try and unpack that now. It's interesting that you have to say statements like I'm attending the virtual women in tech conference tonight or I'm attending the women in science event or <laughs> just general women in. It's never men in. And I think that's because we're used to men being in these spheres, I guess. At one point, women won't have to keep stating our presence in these spaces. We're just going to turn up and that's that. That's a utopia. We're still having to do it. And I'm not saying that we should stop doing these things. And I think stating that you're a woman in something is very different from identifying as a girl boss or a boss babe. They're two different things, but I think it's important to learn the context in which boss babes sit. So why do we try to put a feminized spin on language, spaces, concepts? I don't know. I'm going to focus on a personal anecdote and let's see where we can go with it. When I was younger, I used to play cricket and not to sound like a brag, but I was actually fairly good at it back in the day. Here's the catch. I didn't throw like a girl, a phrase to this day that's left me a bit too aggressive whenever I throw a ball at a man or with a man or with my boyfriend or whoever. <laughs> but I hated the fact that we had to wear the same kit as the guys when we would play a competitive game. Now, please don't get me wrong. I love moving about and existing in a traditionally male-dominated space if I feel like I'm good at something. But bloody hell, would it kill cricket to make the tops a bit more form-fitting and the trousers a bit less blokish? Obviously, this is a problematic statement from me, but put your head in the context of a 14-year-old impressionable teenage girl. This is how I would think. Let's think, though, if guys were suddenly starting to play all guys netball competitively, 
an unlikely story for many reasons, but we move. Would they be expected to wear a form-fitted dress? Obviously not. Ridiculous notion, right? But why? It's literally the same concept, but reversed. But men's clothes have always been the default. Granted, they are much more comfortable, which again is preferential treatment from the patriarchy, which stems through histories of fashion, which I'm not qualified to talk about. However, many women have found freedom in jumping into a trouser two-piece power suit, tailoring it to our own bodies, adapting a traditionally male, fashionable vibe into something that sits how we'd like it to on our bodies. We stepped into that powerful suit and made it our own. Here's the thing. For cricket, the sport's key uniform signifier hadn't adopted to some of the needs and outward desires of some of the women. We were having to fit our bodies into boy clothes. 14-year-old me, someone who was happiest playing the role of this girly girl, again problematic, we move, I was mortified to be seen publicly in this uniform because I was scared at the thought of being seen by anyone. Now, on the flip side, when I said I played netball, a traditionally female game, there wasn't an ounce of shame, especially when I wore my netball kit. I even felt a sense of pride in it, to be honest. So if I give my own reading as to why terms have evolved like CEO and girl boss, Maybe it's because we've historically tried to make these things palatable to ourselves, to give ourselves permission to rightfully occupy male spaces. Maybe we've tried to make the pre-existing masculine tropes adapt to us, and in doing so we've bitten ourselves on the arses by now having to deal with girl boss phrases and the CEO energy. Men's cricket whites didn't feel like they belonged on my body, but of course they do. <laughs> As an adult, I've learnt that clothes do not define our gender and that these standards are thankfully much more fluid these days. If I was now told to put on a pair of cricket whites, I would do it and not give a damn. Heck, they would be very comfortable. Much more than a tennis skirt, but also no shade to tennis skirts because they are cute as hell. I'd probably like to tailor in the shirt a touch because that's just me, but I'm sure I'll be allowed to do that and it'll be fine. <laughs> When asking my brilliantly intelligent friend Izzy Stewart, who is currently doing her PhD, she's featured on the podcast before, she was telling me her thoughts on girlboss culture because I was very intrigued to know where her positioning was on it. And she pointed me to an article by Refinery29 written by Vicky Spratt. Now, Vicky describes the phrase girlboss as the most pernicious phrase of all time. Side note, I didn't know what pernicious means um, and I had to look it up and it tells me, the interweb, that it means having a harmful effect, especially in a gradual or subtle way. And I have to say, ladies and gents, however you identify in this lovely spectrum of life, the article was so enlightening and very observant, summing up so many of my feelings, highlighting tropes I happily still buy into, loving all things millennial pink and sparkly, <gasps> and how it is an ugly aspect of modern day feminism in our current climate. So in her article, Vicky goes on to write, Girlboss is a sexist Trojan horse. It appears to raise women up, to carve out space for us in a working world, still too crowded with men. But in reality, it denies us agency. It diminishes us and denigrates our authority. Boom! Have you ever heard a male worker referred to as a hashtag boy boss? No! 
hey, that kind of sounds like what I was talking about earlier before I'd read this article. Maybe other women are also thinking and writing and talking and speaking about this. Crazy. Vicky says, it's because men's power in the workplace is still the default. It's the status quo and anything a woman does is still an exception, an anomaly. Vicky Spratt says it's because men's power in the workplace is still the default. It's the status quo, and anything a woman does is still an exception, an anomaly. Isn't it brilliant having articulate women journalists like Vicky Spratt, who can succinctly articulate my inner underlying feelings? We love to see it. Thank you, Vicky. You're brilliant. I also asked Izzy about her personal reflections on girlboss culture and why we have it. And she said this, Girlboss culture is a degrading way to separate women out in the workforce and make it out like it's a great thing. When actually, it's probably a bit degrading and patronising. It's just another way of setting up women against each other. It's the same with actor and actress. Actor is not a male term. Actor is a neutral term. And actress, actress, actress is a subsection that really doesn't need to be there. So I don't really use it. And I just use actor for all genders because I do think that that's a bit weird. I think that article says most of my thoughts on it. And I think it's just a cover-up which is wrapped up in capitalism and sold back to us on t-shirts, mugs and whatever else. I think to be fair, girlboss culture has in itself become a parody, whilst a couple of years ago it was an actual thing. But I think now it's become a bit of a piss take when people say girlboss. Very, very interesting. I think Izzy always has such an interesting and unique way to talk about these feminist issues and... I'm always so enlightened every time she tells me something about a topic. <laughs> so thanks, Iz, you're a ledge. I think it is really important to note that if you are still using phrases like girl boss or I am a she-eo, that is obviously fine. But I think just before you say them again, just go, why am I saying this? Is it because I have been taught to say this because of consumerism and making myself as a woman in the workplace as palatable? Or am I saying it because I just love it? And I think they're two different things. And to be honest, I don't think I'm the first person that could ever judge anybody for filling the boots of a walking stereotype fed to us by consumerism. I'm literally writing this script on a millennial rose gold MacBook. <laughs> uh, I've got a rose gold setup. I've got a sparkly pink notebook. And I think that's fine. To paraphrase the feminist powerhouse that is Scarlett Curtis, feminists can wear pink and anyone telling you that they can't is a liar. And you are a feminist if you would like to identify as a girl boss. No woman can tell you what you should and shouldn't be doing. But it's always important to know the origins of these things. I have and always will be a pink Katie Sparkle. Um, shout out to my primary school teacher for coining this phrase. I can imagine that many people find my overtly stereotypical pink girliness an eyesore. Um, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But ask yourself why? And then keep pondering how I internalise this um, through sexism from the patriarchy or are you finding the commodification of packaged girliness um, insufferable in context of commercial feminism? Probably. <laughs> There's no right answer. Let's just remember that tropes and stereotypes are born like the girl boss culture when our personalities are packaged up to be commodifiable. Now we're at the end of this podcast. 
Maybe let's go full circle back to Hayat Ratchie's original quote. I'm not a boss babe. I'm not a girl boss. I'm not a CEO. I'm not a mum entrepreneur. I'm the CMO of a successful, fast-growing SaaS company and have the honour of leading an incredible team of talented humans. And I am a woman. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Educate. It was such a joy to delve deep into this topic. And if you are interested in reading the Refinery29 brilliant article by Vicky Spratt, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. If you like today's episode, please give me a cheeky like, share and subscribe and all of that malarkey. But as always, please drop me a message on how you felt about the episode anything you learnt, anything you want me to talk about, or anything you disagree with. My ears and inbox is very much open. (laughs) 